Today's sermon is the second in a series that we started last week. Uh, we started a, new, a four sermon series last week. This series was inspired and shaped by a, a series that was preached at North Point Church in Atlanta several years ago by Pastor Andy Stanley and his team that um, I found really helpful and wanted to bring to you. Last week, we started off by talking about drawing near to God, and we said that everything that stands between us, that, that stood between God and us, has been completely removed by the sacrifice of Jesus. And we've been invited into a direct connection, a direct relationship with God Himself. We looked at Hebrews chapter 10 where the writer says that uh, since Jesus has opened the way for us to do that, to come into God's direct presence, he says, take advantage of that opportunity, essentially, and draw near to God. God has drawn near to us in the person of Jesus, and so he says, let's, let's respond to that by drawing near to God. He says, he urges us then to do so in two different, uh, well, in, in two ways. One is, he says, draw near to God with a sincere heart. We said the word there, sincere, means a true heart or a, a not insincere heart. In other words, a heart that is um, motivated by devotion. We're not drawing near to God because we're trying to impress another person or because we feel guilty when we don't d- draw near to God, or even that we're trying to check something off of our God list for the day or for the week because I feel like I should do this. No, we draw near to God with a sincere heart out of true devotion, out of a joyful gratitude that God has already drawn near to us. God has already taken a, a huge step toward drawing near to us. And the second thing he says in Hebrews 10 is that we draw near to God, we should, he urges us to draw near to God in the full assurance that comes from faith or that faith brings. In other words, with confidence. Confident because we have been forgiven and we have become God's dearly loved children. And so we approach God as a loving heavenly father with confidence. We come as we are to our father, knowing that he has taken the initiative to remove everything that stood between us. And then we went on to point out that the way we do that, the way we draw near to God will be unique to each of us. We said that Christians draw near to God in many different ways. As Natalie mentioned, there's a link to an online assessment. I invited you to to fill out an assessment that would um, describe to you what your spiritual pathway is. A spiritual pathway, as she said, is is simply the way that you most naturally connect with God and the way that you most naturally grow spiritually, the kinds of things that you find draw you toward God most naturally in in, uh, connecting with Him and in growing spiritually. So we listed nine of them last week, and I urge you to complete the online assessment to identify your spiritual pathway or the two or three that fit you the best, that best describe how you're wired. Uh, the, The link to that assessment is in the email we sent out yesterday, but it's also in the online resources page of our website. So if you haven't done that yet, I'd invite you to do that. It'll help you to track with and I think better apply the things that we're talking about today and in the next two weeks. Because what we want to do is today and the next two weeks talk about the three practices, three practices that all of us as followers of Jesus are urged to do, are called to do, are expected to do in drawing near to God. The way we do them will be different. But the three practices are things that we have in common, three ways that we draw near to God. So the goal is, the goal for the next three weeks is that uh, you'll understand your spiritual pathway so that you can engage these three practices in a way that fits your style or fits the pathway that suits you the best so that each one of these practices is flowing in your life in a meaningful way. 
that it's, it's, they're flowing in your life in a way that's shaping you and that's making you more and more like Jesus. That's the goal of this, this whole series, to implement these three practices in a way that fits your style so that you find life and joy in them. And today we're going to take up the first of those practices. We're going to talk about prayer. We've been singing about prayer. I don't know if you noticed that, um, but we've been singing about prayer this morning already. Everyone, we know that everyone who's uh, following Jesus is expected to pray. We know that we draw near to God in prayer or by praying. But how we pray or or what we find uh, enlivening or refreshing to us in prayer will depend on your spiritual style, your spiritual pathway. We understand that different, as, as Natalie said, we understand that different ones of our brothers and sisters in Christ are going are to find different kinds of prayer in, uh, engaging and enriching. And that, I think, is just part of the richness that fills out, that uh, rounds out our life together in the body of Christ. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to explore different kinds of prayer. So on the one hand, I want you to think about what forms of prayer have been um, life-giving for me. But I also encourage you to pay attention to other forms of prayer and be willing to try out different forms of prayer. I told you last week stories about myself. I said that my primary pathway is intellectual. So I'm really, um, really fired up and excited about things that, new insights and new discoveries. That really uh, lights me up spiritually. And I, I find that that's the way I grow most naturally, things I'm most naturally excited about. But I have learned a tremendous about by being in more uh, charismatic settings where enthusiasts are in charge of worship and so on. And I find that it's really opened up my, my worship life to be shaped by brothers and sisters who are more in the enthusiastic or the enthusiast pathway. And I've been able to incorporate that into my, my worship life and my following of Jesus in ways I think it's been really helpful and constructive. So that's an example of what I'm talking about. Just pay attention to other styles, not to criticize them or not to think, like Natalie said, not to think that those people aren't connecting with God in a meaningful way because they don't do it the way I do it, but say, well, that person is finding a lot of rich meaning in that kind of prayer or that way of drawing near to God. Is there something there that I could learn from? My hope is that as we think about these practices that you'll find ways to implement that, implement them that draw you into them so that you actually look forward to prayer. I know for some of you, when you maybe when you heard me say I'm going to talk about prayer, you're like, oh, great, great. Something else to feel guilty about. You're just going to lay it on me. No, I'm, I'm going to hopefully paint you a picture that would draw you into prayer and give you a picture of how it can be flourishing in your life so you can look forward to praying. One of the things I've thought about this week is, uh, and I don't know if you ever noticed this, but it's interesting to me that in the New Testament, we're often given, um, an, there's an imperative, there's an instruction to us to do something. So for instance, it'll say, uh, repeatedly in the, in the New Testament, it says, be baptized. But did you ever notice that it doesn't really say how to baptize or how to be baptized? There is no systematic, there's no chapter in the Bible that lays out in systematic sort of Western style detail. Here's how to prepare people for baptism, bullet point one, bullet point two, three, four. And here's how to carry out a baptism for it. Here's the minimum, minimum criteria for a, bapt- a Christian baptism. That's just not there. And so sadly, Christians have argued about how to baptize for centuries, the scripture, the, the New Testament instruction is to ba- be baptized, it doesn't say how. It's also, it's the same thing is true of the Lord's Supper. Jesus clearly says, remember me in this meal, remember, when you do this, remember me, but there's really no detail about how to do that, what it, exactly what the minimum detail is for how we celebrate the Lord's Supper, or even a lot of profound detail about what it means, and so guess what? Christians have argued about that for centuries too. 
And to some extent, that's true of prayer. I think we're urged to pray. Now, Jesus does give us some more specifics there, thankfully, but even when he does so, we have to do some thinking and some interpretation, some application. Let me show you what I mean by looking at the passage that Natalie read for us just a moment ago in Matthew 6, where Jesus does give us some helpful and specific instruction about prayer, but he doesn't give us every detail or answer every question. Now, thankfully, this is not also not the only teaching about prayer in the New Testament, but I think it probably is Jesus' most direct teaching about how to pray. There's a couple of things, to, several things to notice here. The first one is that to notice is that Jesus expects us to pray. Three times in the passage that Natalie read for us, he says, when you pray. When you pray. Jesus assumes that we are going to pray. He expects us to pray. That's why I said a moment ago, all of us as followers of Jesus, all of us who are following Jesus are expected to pray, and that comes directly from the Lord Jesus. The second thing to notice in this text is that Jesus says we should pray in private. At least some of the time, we should be praying in private. Not like the hypocrites who prefer to pray in public, out in front of other people, in a way that draws attention to themselves. So clearly Jesus is saying here, don't pray like the hypocrites, one of the ways not to pray, because when you pray like that in public to show off, you're missing the whole point of prayer. The point of prayer is to connect with God, to draw near to God. It's not, if you're praying, if I'm praying to impress you, I'm thinking about you. My focus is on you and how you're reacting, and should I throw in a bigger word, or, you know, should I go on longer to, to, to open your eyes wider with amazement? No, but the focus of prayer is, is on God. I think there's also a word here to those of us who are intimidated by public prayers, to not be intimidated by the prayers of other people. Whether you hear a public prayer here in our worship service, or in your small group, or your Bible study group, or even in your family, I think Jesus' Jesus' word to you is don't be intimidated by the prayers of other people, by by their vocabulary, by how beautifully constructed the prayer is, by how long it is. None of those are the point of prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and your your, your Father who sees you praying in secret will reward you. Your unseen Father will see you praying in secret. Now, I hope that's an encouragement to those of you who, in your private prayers, feel discouraged sometimes. You feel all alone. You don't have a powerful presence, a sense of God's presence. We, we, pray, we sang this morning, you know, Lord, help us to become more aware of your presence. And I have to tell you, as somebody who's more intellectually fired up spiritually, I don't often have a like a, a physical sense, a, a sense of a physical presence of God with me when I'm praying in private. Um, it's very encouraging to me know, to know that God sees me when I pray in private. I know other people report like feeling that they, they have a sense of God's presence. Every once in a very long while, I have a sense that an idea will come to mind to me that I think is, is coming from the Lord, that God is speaking to me in that sense, that God highlights an insight for me or a, a phrase or something that I feel is, is, is for me. Um, but anyway, I, I just think it's encouraging to know that God sees us when we pray. This actually reminds me of a, a mistake I made several years ago in getting our family to the airport. Uh, the five of us were fall, flying to Guatemala for a six-week visit there. We have three children who are now grown, but they were all at home at the time, and we were traveling to Guatemala for a um, combination of a short-term mission assignment. For three weeks, we were going to be teaching English at a Christian school in a re- remote part of Guatemala, and then we were going to spend another two weeks or so as tourists 
visiting places where I lived when I was a child because I was, uh, grew up in Guatemala. And so it was a wonderful chance for me to take Nita and our children back to a place that was very special to me and very formative for me. Anyway, um, in that season of my life, I was doing a fair amount of business travel, so I had a really good routine worked out for how to get to the airport uh, in time, but not, too, not leaving too much time, check my bags, you know, and, and check in and get to the gate and without a lot of fuss. And so this, mor- this morning, we were going to leave on this plane. Uh, well, the, the first leg of our flight was to Miami. We were going to change planes and go on to Guatemala City. Um, and so we drove up to do curbside check-in, and, uh, which is what my, what my routine was, to only to discover that because we were ending up at an international destination, our whole itinerary was considered an international flight, and we couldn't do curbside check-in. So we had to carry all of our bags inside and get in this long check-in line that was, you know, snaking up to that ticket counter way up in the distance. And the truth is that I hadn't left enough time for us to stand in that big long line. I was counting on us, you know, checking in at the curb and making our way out to the gate. So um, we got in line, and if you've ever been in a line like that, you know they generally move pretty slowly. They've actually improved quite a bit in the recent years, but this one moved pretty slowly. And as I was standing there, I'm thinking, boy, I, we didn't leave, I didn't leave enough time for this. I'm, I'm, I started to think about missing our plane, and I just had this kind of thought prayer say, I said, Lord, um, this is a little embarrassing, and I'm sorry to bother you with this, but this doesn't look like it's going to, we could use a little help here. I know that we're not in danger, we're not starving, so it's not that level of problem, but boy, I'd really hate to miss that plane because I don't have any way to contact the person at the other end who's meeting our plane to let them know what happened. And almost as soon as I had finished that thought prayer, or that thought went through my head, the ticket agent, way off there in the distance, called out in this loud and pretty exasperated tone of voice, is anyone else in this line for the 1020 flight to Miami? And so I raised my hand and said, yeah, we are, you know. And so all the people, it felt to me like everyone between me and that ticket agent turned around and looked at us like, you know, what's your problem? But then I realized they had kind of cleared a path and we just walked right to the front of the line. We checked in and we're on our way just like that. But I hesitate to tell you stories like that because then you think that my prayers do that all the time. Like, I just call that up, but that's not true. I've, I've cried out to God for many other things that I'm still waiting for. But this time, that's what it really is a true story of what was what happened. So, but you know what? My main, th- well, my first thought as I walked away was that was really embarrassing. I'm not going to do that again. I like to plan ahead, and I don't like to be that guy who 50 people look at, like, what is your problem? You probably don't like that either. Anyway, but the the main thing that I carried with me from that experience, though, was an experience of realization that God sees me. I was a very personal experience of God being aware of exactly where I was, where we were, what we needed in that moment. And for several weeks after that, it just warmed me to think, God sees me. I'm not always thinking about that. I'm not always aware of it in such a specific way. But that was profoundly encouraging for me, and it still is as I remember that story to tell it to you. God sees me. And when Jesus says, when you go into your room and you close the door, you pray to your Father who is unseen, your unseen Father who sees you, praying in secret will reward you. The third thing Jesus says here is, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. Don't be like them, using lots of words, repeating themselves over and over. Prayer is not just an incantation where you babble the same thing over and over. I think sometimes we imagine that if we pray for five minutes, God's probably thinking, nice, good prayer. 
But if we can hold on for 10 or 15 minutes, we think God's probably thinking, probably brings someone over and says, look at that. That's, a, that's an excellent prayer. It went on for 15 minutes. And maybe if you can hold on for 45 minutes or an hour, maybe God would actually bring other, a whole group of people and maybe say, I should start, I should pay attention. This person's serious. I think sometimes we kind of imagine that's kind of the way it works. But Jesus says here, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. It's not the number of words you use. It's not the the choice of your words. It's not the formula you pray. It's not how long you can pray. God's moved by our humility, by the sincerity of our hearts, not by the words that we choose. We've been invited into a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. And you know as well as I do that you don't, draw ne- you don't get closer to any human being by babbling formulas at them, right? By just repeating formulas over a longer period. And the longer you do that, it's not more, it's not more effective to do that longer, is it? It's, it's actually kind of works against you if you were to do that. But no, we've been invited into a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. And let's, let's talk to Him in that way, knowing that He's already drawn near to us. In verse 9, Jesus goes on to give us then what we call the Lord's Prayer because it came from our Lord. The sad thing about this, this prayer is that we do with it exactly what He told us not to do with prayer. He said, don't make your prayers into formulas. So what have Christians done over the centuries? We treat this to prayer like a formula, don't we? We just, you memorize it, we say it uh, over and over. Well, that's the other thing he says, is don't pray, this, don't pray the same thing over and over and over. And so what do we do? We pray this prayer over and over and over and over. Rather than, understand, than stopping to understand what this prayer is about and what Jesus is guiding us to express in this prayer. We actually include the Lord's Prayer in our communion prayers. If uh, you've celebrated communion with us, you know that. We, we, we say the Lord's Prayer together as part of our communion liturgy. And we're going to do that again this morning, but I'm going to invite you to do that more thoughtfully than maybe you would, would have uh, otherwise. To think about what we're saying and to, to pray it with a sincere heart when we do that in just a moment. So Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. In light of the other things I've said to you, this, then, is how you should pray. And he highlights, I think, two, two main ideas in this prayer, two parts to this prayer. The first part is uh, an expression of submission to God's will. The first part of this, in the first part of this prayer, we are surrendering our will to God's will. And in the second part of our prayer, we are acknowledging our dependence on God for His provision for us. So we're surrendering our will and acknowledging our dependence on God. So in the first two phrases there, we, we say, um, our Father in heaven, holy is your name or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We're surrendering our will to God's will. And we're saying here on earth, when, when you and I pray that, what we mean, I hope, is in my life, in my family, in my circumstances, in my part of the world, in the part of the world that I'm connected to or that I care about, May your will be done in all of those arenas as consistently as I know your will is done in heaven. May your rule, your will be the thing that guides and shapes what's happening in my finances as consistently as your will shapes what happens in heaven. In my marriage, with my children, in my parenting, with my career, with my future, with my health, with everything I care about. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. And then the second part of the prayer is 
uh, our, we de- uh, announce our dependence or acknowledge our dependence on Him for His provision. And He, he uh, leads us into acknowledging that for our daily needs, our daily bread, um, for our uh, need for forgiveness, our need for protection, lead us not into, into temptation or testing, and for deliverance, deliver us from the evil one, the one who seeks to undermine and, and destroy and divide. So the point of this prayer is to express our surrender to God and to trust, to trust Him, express our trust for His provision, however you want to express that. It's fine to use these words if that's something you can memorize and pray from your heart with a sincere heart, but the point is to regularly be surrendering our will to Him and reminding ourselves and Him that we depend on Him for everything. You might think of this prayer as our declaration of dependence. As Americans, we're trained to want to declare our independence. This prayer is a declaration of dependence, and I'd urge you to embrace that about it. As followers of Jesus, it's important for prayer to be a regular practice in our lives, to remind ourselves and to declare before God all throughout our lives in prayer, in private, with a sincere heart, from a sincere heart, I surrender my will to you and I declare my dependence on you. And if you will pray that from your head, it might start in your head, it might not be something that you feel very profoundly at first, but if you will pray that prayer from your head, your heart will catch up. If you continue to pray that prayer, your heart will catch up. And if you draw near in this way, God will change you from the inside. Many of us know what that's, already, what that's like already. God has already changed us from the inside as we have surrendered ourselves more faithfully to Him. And over time, what you'll find is you'll become more and more lined up with, more in sync with God's purposes and God's character and more aware of your dependence on Him. So, draw near to God in prayer. And we do that in different ways depending on our spiritual pathways. Let's look briefly at the nine different pathways. Naturalists, the first one, let the outdoors draw you into prayer. Don't be embarrassed that you prefer to pray outdoors or that you're particularly inspired by being outdoors. Pray outside. Pray out loud. Let the outdoors draw you into prayer. And don't look down on other people who happily pray indoors and find that meaningful. Sensates, people who experience God primarily through their senses or who prefer to worship through your senses, it might be helpful for you to change the place where you pray frequently so that you're in a different environment. You're experiencing different senses in different environments, different sounds, different lights, different colors. You're you're tapping into different senses as you pray. Traditionalists, find prayers that are meaningful meaningful for you, and you might want to consider memorizing them so that you can pray them from your heart. Just being careful not to let memorized prayers um, shield you or help you to dodge these issues of surrender and trust. I mean, those are really the core issues. I found that I have, um, the, the traditionalist path is one of the th- top three that came up in my profile, and um, I realized that I have memorized five or six um, hymns or songs that include themes of adoration or praise to God and surrender to God, and I, um, I use those in my private prayers, and I find that the intellectual part of me enjoys the depth of thought and meaning that's, that's built into those lyrics that I've memorized. And the traditionalist part of me likes that I don't have to um, come up with, I don't have to generate such profound insights and ideas all the time because they're there in the, in the lyrics of the hymns and songs that I've memorized. And so I can, sometimes I just 
um, pray or sing a, a, a verse or two, and then I stop at a phrase that just stands out to me on that day, and I meditate on that particular aspect of my praise to God or my surrender to God, and I have found that to be uh, helpful to me. I realize that that's connected to my pathway, might not be the same effectively, uh, have the same effectiveness for you. Ascetics, folks who prefer solitude and quiet, find a, a spot or a place that's usually quiet, a place where you can relax and focus as you pray and draw near to God in a way that fits you. Activists, activists and caregivers actually kind of similar in this regard in terms of prayer. The key here is to be grounded in your following of Jesus as you express your activism and your caregiving so that your um, both activists and caregivers are going to encounter many more needs and troublesome situations than any one person can address. And the key is to be connected to God, surrendered to God's direction in your life so that you're focusing on the causes and the people that God is calling you to particularly address and engage with. The your will be done within me or in me prayer is really critical for the activists and the caregivers. Enthusiasts, enthusiasts, find places and ways to let it out. Enthusiasts enjoy celebrating God with enthusiasm, so find ways in your private prayers to make some noise and to shout out your prayers to God, to express your enthusiasm. That's, that's a, a wonderful way to praise God. I think enthusiasts just need to be careful not to let public worship substitute for private prayer because an enthusiast probably is more drawn to public prayer where public worship where you can pray with other people, but it's also important to continue to have private prayer be part of your rhythm. Contemplatives. Contemplatives need to make time to ponder, time to write out their prayers. Just remembering not to look down on other Christians who seem not to ponder as deeply or as long as you do, realizing they have other strengths, but there's going to be some real depth to taking time for a contemplative to pray and to listen Intellectuals, I've already mentioned that, but I think it's important for intellectuals to make sure that your, uh, your prayer goes beyond your head and settles into your heart. It may be helpful to pray out loud, to meditate on, on your unwritten prayers, or to explore listening prayer where you're not so focused on the words that you're expressing to God, but that you're in a posture of listening and receiving from God. The goal, for, especially for an intellectual, is to move your devotion from your head into your heart and into your, uh, shaping your emotions and your will. But all of us, all of us are invited to pray. All of us are invited to pray, to pray alone, to pray with sincere hearts, surrendering our wills to the Lord and declaring our dependence, our, our dependence on Him for His provision. Imagine how different the world would be if every Christian did this all the time, regularly, daily, at least, or regularly, if we were all praying, uh, all Christians everywhere prayed alone, in private, with a sincere heart, and on a very regular basis, we're asking the Lord to shape our wills, we were surrendering our wills to God, and we were acknowledging our dependence on God, acknowledging that these things that I think I own are not really mine, they've all been a gift to me from God. Can you imagine how, how profoundly that would shape our journeys to say every day, every week, your will be done in me. And I recognize that everything I need and every good thing in my life comes from you. And I'm going to live this day, I'm going to live this week with those two thoughts in mind. I just, I, I just feel like that, that awareness would continue to shape us everywhere we went. I think it would, it would transform our, 
our world if every Christian would, would follow this on a regular basis. So friends, let's draw near to God together in prayer this week as you think about what that means and how best to express that in your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example and your teaching in prayer. We thank you that you have opened the way for us. We're astonished that you have opened the way for us to have a direct relationship with your Father, to join you in that way. And Lord Jesus, together this morning we do surrender our wills to you afresh, anew this day. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our hearts and in the world around us, in the parts of the world that we touch and that we shape. And Lord, again today, we acknowledge our dependence on you in all things. We acknowledge that every good thing we have comes to you, comes from, as a gift to us from your hand. What a great and merciful God you are, one who rescues us and puts us on the right path who draws near to us and invites us to draw near to you. Or give us the grace to do that this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to move into a time of serving communion. And in this season... We're uh, doing this by passing out individual packets, so if you want to participate in communion this morning, you're going to need one of these little packets of, that has juice in the bottom, and if you've looked at it, you see there's a little wafer of bread in the top. Uh, if you don't have one, uh, would you raise, if you need one, could you raise your hand? And uh, if you're the only one who needs one, I can take care of that. So. Okay. Anyone else need a, a little packet of juice and bread? Okay, I think we're all set, Andy. Thank you. There's also gluten-free wafers available in a small dish at the back if, uh, if, that's, if that's better for you. Well, friends, this meal...